This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 577, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, May 9th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 577. It's our comic reviews episode for the week of Wednesday, May 9th. I'm actually recording this on May 10th, so uh, this episode is actually going up on time. Uh, it's, uh, I've been wanting to get the show back on a Monday-Friday schedule for a while now, so hopefully this will be one week where it actually happens, more or less. Although Deadpool 2 is coming out, so that episode might come out on a Saturday, so, you know, close enough. So this might come out on a Monday or Tuesday, but at least it'll be more in, in line with the typical or what used to be typical schedule for comic shenanigans. Uh, so I am Adam Chapman. I'm your host. We're going to take a look at some of the comics that came out on Wednesday, May 9th, uh, which I haven't had a chance to read many, obviously, but I find lately I haven't had a chance to read a lot of comics. So um, I've already read a, a bunch of the books that I wanted to talk about, and I thought, let's record an episode uh, before that opportunity kind of flies by and I suddenly don't have time. Uh, so looking at some of the releases that came out on May 9th that I won't be talking about, they include Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, Batman White Knight, Darth Vader, Detective Comics, Domino, Exiles, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, Incredible Hulk, Justice League, No Justice, uh, New Mutants, Dead Souls, New Superman and the Justice League of China, Old Man Logan, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, Red Hood and the Outlaws, Runaways, Sideways, Spider-Man, Deadpool, Star Wars, Thrawn, Suicide Squad, The Immortal Men, Wonder Woman, X-Men, Blue, and your Deadpool. A bunch of those, I realized that I couldn't really talk about them because even if I read them, I don't think I've read the issue before, so... I didn't end up talking about them. Uh, so the first book I am going to talk about is Despicable Deadpool number 300. I really like this. It was suitably tragic, sad, funny, all those things, which is a lot of what Jerry Duggan's run on Deadpool has been like. Um, it hasn't been, it's, you know, at times it really pushes the envelope uh, in terms of, you know, being kind of silly and then also being, you know, having a lot of pathos to it. And that's what this felt like. Um, an issue that kind of kind of blended all those those ideas together, all those different um, concepts and emotional feelings uh, that have been part of what Duggan has brought to Deadpool uh, throughout his run on the character. And this, you know, is very suitable. I mean, the fact that it all starts with, you know, a big kind of superhero, uh, you know, fight fest where it's supposed to, um, but then ends up not really going that way. Just because, uh, you know, uh, Deadpool takes something and doesn't realize it ends up being basically a pathogen that anyone who comes near him and tries to fight him and gets close ends up uh, throwing up uh, uncontrollably. So this issue is technically written by Jerry Duggan for pages 1 to 22, and then pages 23 to 60 are written by Wade Wilson. Uh, makes sense in the story. With uh, pencils by Scott Kobush, Matteo Loli, and Mike Hawthorne. Uh, with inks by Scott Kobush, Matteo Loli, Terry Palo, Craig Young, and Mike Hawthorne. And then uh, colors by Nick Filardi, Ruth Redmond, and Jordi Belair. Uh, with virtual calligraphies, Joe Sabino doing the colors. Uh, so this was really good. Uh, I really like this. This was uh, a lot of fun, a lot going on. I will say the, the whole gag with the vomiting maybe went on a little longer than it needed to. Uh, it definitely was many pages, but I mean, they had a lot of pages uh, that they had available to them, so they kind of filled them up. Um, I like that each time you thought, you know, the, that Deadpool thought, finally, someone's going to take me out, someone's going to do this, like when Iron Man's about to blast him and suddenly Tony Stark gets ejected in a, a hole, like, mess of vomit and fluid is gross, but 
funny because he finally thinks he has this moment. It's again, it's this this idea of funny yet tragic. And then you have uh, Vision confronting him. He's like, finally, you know, someone's going to take me down. Let's do this. And uh, and one of my favorite refrains from Deadpool: Oh, sweet Scotty Young, baby variant Gina, Gina yeah, Jesus. Uh, and suddenly um, they look up, and Giant Man is there, and he gets close to that. He ends up throwing up as well, and throws up all over Vision and uh, Deadpool, and enough that the vomit kind of messes up Vision systems, and uh, which is super gross. And then Deadpool's like, "Well, I got to do this myself," and he has to get clean. Um, Captain America and Preston are going to go after him. He, he gets picked up by Jerry Duggan, and I do love that. You know, he picks him up, and he's like, "I'm sure you have questions." And he's like, "You're just ripping off Grant Morrison." And then Jerry Duggan, the the look in Duggan's face is priceless. Where he's like, "Oh shit! Like, I've, I've got all these pages. What do I do now?" And Devil's just kind of like, "You know, I know how to end this. Don't worry. I just need one thing from you." He's like, "I need your car." And then he uh, so he carjacks Jerry Duggan and shoots him in the head and dumps him on the road. And then the rest of the issue is written by Deadpool. Um, and again, you get fun antics, but also a lot of pathos as Deadpool kind of does what he can, uh, you know, to change things. And here he basically effectively reboots himself um, and gives himself a fresh start by eliminating everything that he knew. Uh, it doesn't mean that everyone around Deadpool doesn't know what happened. But Deadpool himself won't feel weighted down by everything that's gone on, um, the the horrible things he's done, what he did uh, to Preston, what he did to Coulson, um, you know, having the trust of Cap America and finding out it was you know Stevel, um, you know, it was really interesting to kind of have him figuring out the only way to be able to kind of move on and in a post Duggan-less universe, really, uh, with a new writer and new creative team, is to very literally murder all the memories uh, that he's created over the last few years with Shikla, with his daughter, everything, and kind of resetting the character um, in a big way to, you know, a kind of a blank canvas uh, so that the next creative team can do what they want to do. And uh, that's actually really cool. Uh, it was an interesting concept. It, you know, it frees up the character for a new run. Um in a very kind of Deadpool way, uh, immensely enjoyable, really well illustrated throughout. Um, sad because, I mean, Jerry Duggan's done some amazing work on the character. Um, some of it, again, some of it was happy, some of it was sad, some of it was thrilling. Uh, you know, it, but it was always entertaining. And uh, I'm really gonna miss their take on, you know, Duggan and his various collaborators. I'm gonna miss their take, and I'm gonna miss Jordan D. White being the editor and kind of writing. Um, really directing the ship and steering it along, and it's uh, it's too bad, you know. I'm, I obviously, you know, all things have to come to an end sometime, and uh, it's not like he hasn't written a ton of Deadpool, and he's definitely made his mark on the character. And uh, it's interesting that, like, in a in a similar way, you had Dan Slott recently kind of push the reset button for Silver Surfer, uh, where it didn't invalidate everything that we'd seen, but it, it freed it up so they could do new stories without having to be the same thing. Like, Dan Slott's version of Silver Surfer was very unique and very special and and very specific um, to the story of Norn Rad and, um, oh my god, now I forgot her name, which is terrible. Um, I'm, I'm going to kick myself for that later, but it's all, you know, it's, oh, him and Don Greenwood. Oh my god, that was a horrible brain fart. But it was all about Don and Norrin. And when... Slot left the book, he was very, I guess he probably understood that maybe a lot of people didn't want to do this very specific story and probably a lot of people couldn't. Um, it had that kind of Doctor who and I don't even know a lot about Doctor Who, but I'm guessing that that's the, the feeling that they were going for, but there's just such a, there's such a, a warmth and genuine, uh, 
affection in everything that slot slot wrote with those characters and when he left i think he probably knew that that was never going to be recaptured so he took don away and he made it so that that happened it was a great story for the character but made it so that the character could move on and be in different stories that were always going to be different than that and go back to the kind of the standard Silver Surfer stories. And I feel like that's what Duggan did with Deadpool here. He said, he said, you know, I've done something. I've brought Deadpool to a lot of different areas. I made him a hero. I made him horrible. I made him despicable now. Um, but let's let's let someone do something new and not be hampered by Wade's personal continuity. Everyone else's continuity is fine. It's still the same. But Wade won't remember it. Wade is his, himself now. He's he's this guy. That's not part of that of that new story. So when you have Scott Young and the new... I forget who the new Everest is. But uh, when they come on the book, they get to kind of do what they want with Deadpool. And I thought that was actually really uh, nice. Um, you know, there, there's, there's three ways you can go when you do a transition. Either you can just end your storyline, but you know, don't have anything necessarily dovetailing into the next creator's book. You can um, delicately set it all up and or do like they did here, where you kind of pull it all down so that the next person doesn't have to worry about it. Or you can pull a Bendis on Daredevil and just leave the character in prison and say, enjoy it, Brubaker, do something. And he did, and it was awesome. But that's a very difficult position to leave the next writer in. Okay, so I'm going to write Daredevil. My main character's in prison. What? <laughs> Um, so I feel like those are the kind of the three different ways that transitions can be held. I'm sure there's different variations thereof, but um, this was so this was interesting. I'm going to give this an eight. Uh, very solid, solid read. Actually, you know, I'm maybe I'm being a little stingy. I'll give it a, I'll give it a nine. Ah, the the over preponderance of using so much vomit brings it down to an eight and a half. Uh, so much vomit in this book. Um, even for a Deadpool book, that's a little much. Uh, next up, we have Hunt for Wolverine: The Adamantium Agenda, number one. Um, I, I, I really like this. This is by Tom Taylor, Tom, uh, Tom Taylor and R.B. Silva. Um, I thought R.B. Silva did an amazing job in the art. Um, it was kind of a nice little. You have a little flashback to you know an untold adventure of a version of the New Avengers. Not sure exactly when Jessica Jones is really doing adventures with them like this, but whatever. It is what it is. Uh, they needed a reason, uh, a way to have Jessica there because I guess they wanted her as part of the story um it, it's interesting to see tony putting together you know the team so it's him luke cage spider-man and jessica jones and thereafter you know this um this upcoming sale of of uh, on the superhero black market they think it might be logan's remains or something to do with him um so they go on a submarine they have to kind of make make their way through uh, try to not you know create any major issues on a freaking submarine so that they don't get too injured or hurt or stuck underwater uh to kind of amp up the threat level and the fact that they can't just bust bust loose and bust heads as easily as they normally would and then uh, a great cliffhanger where it turns out they don't have the dna of wolverine at all it's actually danielle cage so it's almost like the rest of the story obviously isn't really going to be about, uh, you know, the, the the black market. I mean, it is because now that they know what it is, but um, it's not really about Logan at all. But it is going to tell a story that's, you know, about people trying to figure out what's going on with Logan. It just feels like it, interesting that right in the first issue, it's definitely not Logan uh, that they're after his DNA sequence being sold. It's something more personal to the characters that are there, obviously Luke and Jessica. Um, interesting to see if they pull the rest of the series back to being more about Wolverine or is this going to be the rest of the series just kind of to stop you know these people doing things with Danielle's DNA. I'm not really sure, uh, but I thought the artwork was great. I, I did enjoy the story. I, I like the way that the characters written. It did feel very um, natural. The characters felt in you know very in, they're very much in character. So I'm going to give it an eight. 
next up is The Flash, number 46. This one I struggled with. Um, I like it, but I have issues. And and I guess this is the problem with the way DC decides to do things, is that sometimes we're like... When you had the New 52 happen, you had characters like Green Lantern and Batman that really weren't affected by the New 52 because those were still doing well, so they just kind of let them do what they wanted to. They didn't really change their characters that much, and, you know, there's still Damien and all that kind of stuff. They kind of assumed that things still kind of happened the way they did, and then eventually we'd learn that, no, that's not really the case. Reality is different, but we're just, you know, kind of glossing over some of the, the finer points. And then when you had convergence happen, then you're like, oh, okay, so there's pre Flashpoint Superman, cool. And then you get, you know, with uh, Rebirth or Reborn or whatever that's, that series was or that era, uh, you had the characters kind of fold back in. And now, you know, that version of Superman was always this version of Superman. And so they're retroactively kind of fixing continuity, but it still has the elements of the New 52 continuity and this. And a book like Flash makes it worse because, especially now that you have, like, Wally remembering things and remembering his own continuity. And, again, like, that always bothered me in the first place when Flash first came um, Barry Allen first came back to life uh, in Brightest Day era um, way pre-New 52 or only a year or two uh, before pre-New uh, before the New 52 and they kind of de-aged Barry like he felt so young and it was weird to have him next to Wally because Wally had grown up and become like a man and then suddenly had Barry looking exactly the same age and then to make it worse you brought back Iris who had aged into being an older woman and suddenly she was just as young as Barry and that felt weird and then the New 52 happened and you're like okay fine this is you know brand new whatever but then when you bring back wally and you have the sense that they, you know even though the, t- the timeline's been messed with but they'll kind of remember everything uh but not everything and it's just uh, so many needless questions and then you have a storyline like this which in theory could be really cool you know the two flashes coming head to head with each other that's cool we saw a little bit of that last storyline um but uh, this issue in particular like you bring in hunter solomon and like what what the? I, I don't even know what the actual chronology is for Professor Zoom anymore, or the original Edward Thawne, because you had the New 52 version, which was really fucked up, and then you had, you know, kind of the, the, the regular version that we're used to, who was in the button, who I guess is dead, but then we saw him again. Like, I, I just don't even know how to keep it all straight, whereas, you know, in the pre New 52, it was pretty easy for the most part, although Flash Rebirth definitely mucked with what they were doing with Zoom and suddenly had the negative speed force and it kind of went all bananas. But, like, what makes this issue even more frustrating, or at least hard, is that it's written by Joshua Williamson, who's done a great job in Flash generally for the last 45 issues. Um, Scott Collins is the artist, and, I mean, obviously they bring in Scott. First of all, he's a great artist. He's a great Flash artist. But he's got an interesting legacy with the Flash, especially, you know, he was the one who co-created Zoom. Um... He did some amazing work with Jeff Johns. So, you know, he worked a lot on the on the Wally West Flash. He worked a lot on Hunter Zolomon, who is Zoom, who obviously is part of the storyline. So it definitely, and even the artistic style he employs in the flashback sequences here in the coloring evokes his run on the Flash. So it's just very weird to, you know, be evoking an old timeline, which, and, and I'm not even sure how it all works with, like, Zolomon. Like, Zolomon here is walking. And they do mention that it's only thanks to Zoom um, into Zoom that he can walk again because he was crippled again or reduced back to his crippled state after what was it Kid Zoom took away his powers like that's how far long ago it was that we really kind of saw this and so now he's you know he's fine he can he's standing again but apparently I guess he has speed but he never had speed before he had you know his ability to being kind of unstuck in time and I'm not even sure how that works I, I just I don't even know at times if DC knows its own chronology and I, 
feel bad for the writers who are trying to tell good stories, and then you have asshole readers like me getting hung up on continuity that maybe doesn't matter and shouldn't matter, but I feel like it should matter. Like, like the, the, the fact that... To, for Hunter to have any resonance as a character, it's so deeply tied into, you know, why he became, you know, what, why did he ever step on that cosmic driving mill to begin with? Because he felt that the Flash, Wally West, um, wouldn't do something for him, even though he, you know, he, they were friends. And he was like, I just, you know, to fix this one moment in time. And when you had that origin story uh, about Zoom back in the day, it was breathtakingly uh, heart-wrenching because you really got a sense of who this man was. And he was kind of screwed up inside, but you know he was this cocky guy and he lost everything in a moment. One a split decision and everything got turned against him afterwards. And, you know, you get the sense that in that storyline that he was a criminal profiler, a very good one, and that led to his downfall, but he could not have necessarily known. Like, he made what he thought, and he would never put his father-in-law in, you know, harm's way. He made what he thought was the proper decision based on his knowledge of the situation, and it ended up being wrong. Sucks. He lost everything because of it, and then, you know, losing his, his ability to walk because of Grodd, and then begging his, his friend the Flash to kind of fix things, knowing that he could in theory, and being rebuffed, it definitely kind of pushed him down this this uh, interesting uh, direction. And it just, and Williamson does a very good job of trying to connect it, trying to make the character work. Um, it's just, it's a Herculean task to try to reconcile all these issues that exist because of all the convoluted continuity that's not even his fault. Um... So I like it, but I just find it frustrating. But again, I have to look at this issue on its own merits and that it's not Williamson's fault that continuity is like this. Now, it doesn't mean he should just avoid characters that are, you know, kind of wrapped up into that old continuity because that would, you know, deprive readers and the creators from some really interesting characters that they get to write. Um, And that they have Wally back, why not bring in the character that meant so much to Wally and definitely put such a huge part in his timeline. Um... I'm going to give the issue an 8 because I think it's still a very good issue. My issues with the uh, with the story have nothing to do with the story. It has everything to do with editorial and their mismanagement of timelines and continuity and by trying to kind of bring things back but not uh, you know, admit the new 52 was a total, you know, was a mistake or a failure. They've kind of homogenized the two things, but they don't really, not all those elements fit. And then they just are really juxtaposed to each other. And it just ends up giving, you know, the continuity lovers a bit of a fit. And unfortunately that's me. So I'm going to give it an eight, but with like some asterisks that editorial for all their mismanagement of flash in particular as a character and the continuity, they get like a, a very low grade, but I cannot fault Williamson and Collins. Collins is amazing art here. It's fantastic. So, I mean, like he does just great work. Uh, last book I'm going to talk about. It's funny. I said this was going to be a really short episode, or I thought it was going to be because I'm only talking about four books. And this is one of my longest reviews episode in a while. So, you know, go figure. Uh, this is Venom number one, or Legacy numbering 166 by Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. Oh, my goodness. Um, I guess if you were reading the previous Venom volume, this feels so different, so away from the last volume that it's almost laughable and it's just like the last one made it seem like everything you know Eddie Brock kind of had his stuff together a little bit 
and uh, you know the, the the kind of the offspring and all this stuff. And then you go into this issue, and Eddie is like a complete fucking mess. Uh, the way that you know Stegman draws him, he's got you know the long, long hair. He he looks like he's going through a really rough time. He's really having an issue with the symbiote as well. Uh, this is a dark issue. Uh, the artwork's pretty good. I mean, it's Stegman, so I mean, of course, it's amazing artwork. Um, he, and there's a an opening, uh, not an opening, but there's a a page not that long after the first few pages where you have. Uh, Venom swing and he's got like a bag on and he, like a backpack. He's and he's swinging through the air on a web line and um, it's a great perspective shot. And you got uh, it's raining all around and you see like the lightning in the background and it is very McFarlane esque and looks awesome. And I mean, Stegman's got amazing art. And even when you have that weird moment where it's like his symbiote is suddenly possessed, uh, it looks awesome. The story, I don't know if I need a retcon like this, like. I feel like they... It's hard to write Venom stories, maybe, but we've just had recent storylines with other symbiotes, and, and it just feels like a little too soon to go with something like this, and the idea that symbiotes were on Earth for so long, and I just find... I don't know if I buy it. I do like the idea that you know this 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 uh, soldier comes up, and he expects to find Thompson, and it's not Thompson, and he's like, oh, Brock, fuck. <laughs> um, but I just... I don't need everything to be a retcon, and... It just it feels so strange, especially like how did symbiotes get on Earth? I guess we're going to find that that they've been on Earth like the, like a long, long time. But what bothers me with that more is again it, it makes Venom less special. It makes I mean, and everything they've done in the last few years with the Clintar and everything that Bendis did with Venom, it, it has neutered his effect as a character and has definitely taken a, a lot away from his specialness as a character as well um, and his uniqueness. And I feel like that doesn't belong to Venom anymore or to Eddie Brock's version of Venom because, again, we've had other characters be Venom for stretches of time now. And it's hard to really go backwards when you've done that much progression. Like, I still think it's weird to even have Eddie Brock in the costume anymore uh, just because I you know, I was okay with it being Flash Thompson. I wasn't a huge fan of some of the stuff in the later era of Flash Thompson Venom run. But, you know, it moved the character in a different direction, but it didn't invalidate some of its history, and I feel like this starts to do that. Um, you know, Venom, you know, the Venom symbiote was found because of an accident on Battleworld, and the idea that, you know, actually these symbiotes were on Earth before, I just don't know if I buy it or like it. Um, especially because we've had so many storylines with Venom inv- with symbiote invasions and Planet of the Symbiotes and all this stuff, and I just feel like, can you not do a storyline that's about more symbiotes? I mean, we just had Venom Inc. Like, it's just, it just feels like so much and I like the art a lot, but and I like Donny Cates as a writer. I just I'm not really that impressed with the direction uh, so far. I mean, the issue's fine, but again, I just I didn't feel a lot of it was new. Um, I just I just kind of found myself going, huh? Okay, yeah. Like it looks great, great art. Can't we get a better story for that? Uh, I'm going to give it a six, predominantly because the artwork is amazing. And it's Ryan Stegman. Of course it's amazing. Um, I don't expect anything less from Ryan Stegman. Like his, his artwork is always fantastic, always looks great, and uh, that it's always you know something special. Uh, I don't think I've ever picked up a piece of Ryan Stegman artwork and been like, oh, man, Ryan Stegman, I don't want that guy. Like That's just not, not a thing that happens. He's so good. Uh, so I'm going to give the issue a six. That's all I'm talking about today. Uh, let's look at some of the releases coming out next week on the 16th. Uh, some of the highlights include uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers 27, which is another chapter in Shattered Grid. Um, we've got, let's see, Aquaman, Batman, 
Uh, we've got the Batman Ghosts trade paperback. Uh, new issues of Damage, Green Lanterns, Injustice 2, Justice League No Justice number 2, uh, New Challengers number 1 of 6, you got the Nightwing Rebirth Deluxe Collection hardcover book 2, I got the Supergirl The Silver Age Omnibus volume 2, the Superman Reborn trade paperback called uh, Rebirth, we got, let's see what else, um, uh, we got Goosebumps Download and Die, My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, Son of the Hedgehog number 1, third printing, wow, third printing already, uh, let's see, from Image we've got uh, flavor number one, which actually looks really cool. I'm, I'm excited to give that a shot. Uh, from Marvel, All New Wolverine 38, sorry, 35. I'm really enjoying the new storyline. We've got the Amazing Spider-Man Epic Collection, Spider-Man No More. Um, I wish we'd have more stuff that wasn't already in the first few omnibuses of uh, the Amazing Spider-Man Collection. But because, I mean, it kind of makes me wonder if I should even bother with those omnibuses anymore. I have three of those, and now most of that material is going to be in Epics now. So I'm a little disappointed that they keep kind of we already have this like give us something fresh uh avengers 2 ben riley scarlet spider um let's see what else cable captain america daredevil uh that's all some good stuff deadpool classic trade paperback volume 22 that's a liberal use of the name classic for the title and there's 22 volumes uh we've got hunt for wolverine claws of a killer uh hulk return to planet hulk trade paperback the infinity countdown daredevil one shot i believe it's one shot anyway Got Mighty Thor, Gates of Valhalla, number one of one, which is the uh, another story, uh, I guess, reflecting on the uh, the life and times of um, the Jane Foster version of Thor. Got Moonlight Legacy, trade paperback, volume one, Crazy Runs in the Family, which is actually pretty good. I liked it. We have uh, Punisher Invades the Nam, new printing, uh, new issue of Punisher as well. We got Quicksilver, No Surrender, number one of five. I'm excited to read that. We've got X-Men Red, number four, X-Men Wedding Special, number one, and You Are Deadpool, number three. And uh, I'm sure there's some other books as well. There's Archie's number seven. Um, I'd have to go through some of the, the list of the, the kind of other books coming out, but there definitely is some other stuff coming out. There's the Three Stooges Slaptastic Special uh, and many other books. So thank you for listening to this episode. This has been episode 577, our comic reviews for the week of Wednesday, May 9th. I am your host, Adam Chapman. You can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like this show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.